Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. We return to Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by Digitex. Office Equipment Solutions North America wide. Yeah, Digitex does that. D I G I T E X dot C A on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. Welcome back, everybody. 1234. If there's not a more appropriate time to bring up the name Danny Gallivan than when the Oilers are in Montreal, I don't know when there is. I mean, just think of some of the phraseology that's been been deployed because of it. Cannonading drives, scintillating, larcenous, enormous, paraphernalia, uh, kicked out his pad in rapier-like fashion, glorious scoring opportunity. These were all, I mean, the man had such a way with words. As does our next guest, John Shannon, for Legacy Heating and Cooling. Oh, but no payments and no interest for a year. That's how you build a Legacy, Legacy Heating and Cooling. How did you like that segue, John? That's pretty good, but, you know, my, my philosophy is I don't use words larger than marmalade. Danny used every word larger than marmalade. So. <laughs> now, did he, did, he, uh, did it go down as smoothly as marmalade can? I mean, for me, and we've had this conversation a bit, and I, you know, I remember with Rod Phillips sitting down uh, doing the last two years with Rod, and I said, so, Rod, who was your guy? He says, it's not even close. It was Danny Galvin. We all aspired to be on that level. Um, you worked with him. You know, I don't. You did. You didn't work with Foster Hewitt. Did you work with Bill before he had to take a step away from the game? I'm just trying to think. I'm trying to think of the oh, time yes. frame. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. My first, you know, my first uh, three years as a producer, I did uh, some Maple Leaf games and worked with Bill, and uh, and at the same time worked with. Uh, I would go to Montreal on Saturdays and do some games with Danny and Dick. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and yeah. actually, uh, uh, you know, one of my first jobs uh, at Hockey Night. Uh, in the mid '70s, was to make sure Foster was in place to pick the three stars. Yeah. So I did. I I didn't produce Foster, but I certainly worked with him. Yeah. Uh, how special of a talent was Daddy, in your opinion? Oh, I, he was. Uh, he was like a Rorschach test. There's only one of them. You know, um, he his style was different than anybody else's. Uh, he he created an ambience uh, in a hockey game like no one else. Uh, he, he was you know he was hard to he was hard to work with uh, because he didn't really care about the rest of the show. <laughs> uh, so so it, it, which is one of the reasons why why Dick Irvin became such a valuable member of our Montreal crew was that uh, uh, Danny could Danny couldn't do commercial cues. Danny couldn't understand that how to how to involve the host or, or how to how to do out of town scores or roll ins. So th- that's that became Dick job Dick's job. And uh, so Dan- the, the 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 agreement we finally came to with 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 Danny was that uh, once the play stopped, you finish and then let Dick take over. And and that worked out to be a a great partnership for a long, long time. 
uh, was he the perfect guy given the style of panache of the Canadians to be calling oh, Montreal? Yeah. Did that help? Did that help? It you think? Sure, it did. I mean, sure, there was a joie de vivre about the team. There was a joie de vivre about the city. The other thing to remember, Bob, is. Uh, Danny was on the English side, and René Le Cavalier was on the French side. Yep. And both of them, particularly René, who was just a, a, a true gentleman, uh, both of them exuded a level of class. And they kind of played off each other. You know, René was, was an artiste. René, René would walk into the building with his overcoat over his shoulders, uh, with, his, with a cigarette in the cigarette holder. He was... He looked like David Niven, so anybody under the age of 50 have to go, go Google David Niven. He looked like David Niven uh, and, and, uh, and had that, uh, that great Parisian uh, presence. Um, and Danny, who's a, you know, from Anaganish, Nova Scotia, uh, he, kind of, uh, he kind of saw that and realized how great Rene was, and, and then they, they kind of became uh, uh, mirror images of each other in many ways. Uh, David Niven did not make his way into the book Hellraisers, uh, which <laughs> which which deals with guys like Richard Burton and Oliver Reed, uh, Richard Harris, and I'm trying to think of who the fourth Hellraiser was, but there was, uh, but David Niven was uh, quite a prolific man apparently. It is David Niven was the original James Bond, and he uh, also had the greatest single comeback line, as you know, at the Oscars of all time. Right when the guy when the guy went and streaked on the stage, and the whole crowd was in shock. Did you recall what he said? No, I don't. You you can probably though. He, he said, "Why is this generation so focused on showing their shortcomings?" Oh, it was, like, it was just perfect. Like it just uproarious yeah. laughter afterwards. But David David Niven, David Niven was all classes, you know. Uh, that's an, uh, that must have been an incredible time, John, to sort of you know be around it because in many ways the Canadians of that era. And they were tough, too. They could beat you any way you wanted, but yeah. they kind of took the game back, didn't they, from the Flyers, or is that is that reaching too much? Oh, no. Oh, no. Listen, they were they, – they did. Um, they, they beat them with their own level of toughness. You know, after the famous Dave Schultz, John Van Boxmeer, one, one fist uh, to the face fight, uh, Scotty's team got tougher. Um, and um, and they, could, they could beat you any which way. Uh, the, the other thing was, is, uh, and, you know, our friend Slats was part of this, too, and I think part of what, what occurred in Edmonton in the first few years was stuff that Glenn learned uh, in Montreal for that one year he was there was there was a presence. When the Montreal Canadiens walked into a building, you, you stepped aside. Uh, when you know they had a they had a management staff of five or six people, I, and I've joked with people who were part of the group: Kenny Reardon, Toe Blake, L. McNeil, uh, Claude Ruel, uh, and then later later on Irving Grunman, Sam Pollock. Um, when they walked in, you were this was like this was like organized crime. These were the henchmen. This was the group that decided the fate of hockey this group that and they didn't talk they talked in whispers they didn't talk very much to anybody other than their small group they skulked around the around outside the dressing room and you were scared they were an intimidating force there's no question about it and and you know it worked because they all they did was win 
So they be, it became even more intimidating both on and off the ice. It was a fan, fantastic time to be around. And, and, of course, Scotty was part of that too. And over the years, and it's one of the great joys I have in, in uh, my professional career is that Scotty became a friend and, and is still a friend to this day. Uh, and we laugh uproariously about how that they would they would laugh at us because they knew they could intimidate everyone. Um, and uh, just with a glare or a look or not smiling when you said hello, uh, you walked away saying, oh, man, those guys are tough. Uh, the fourth Hellraiser, by the way, it was Oliver Reed, Richard Harris, Richard Burton, and Peter O'Toole, who was once quoted oh. as saying, he said, booze is the most outrageous of all drugs, which is why I choose it, said Peter O'Toole. So back to, just just going back here uh, a, a Everybody second. Everybody over 60 loves this conversation. Nobody under 60 oh, Well, does. no, no, no. They, they Those guys were legends and stuff. It was a different time. Uh, and so, too, were the guys that you mentioned. At one time, the Canadians, John Shannon joining us, uh, our NHL insider, the Canadians had a 400-man reserve list at one time, and you talked about them being like the firm. Did they not act like the firm to procure the rights to Guy Lafleur? Well, they, so Lafleur should have been a first-round pick um, of the uh, California Seals or the Oakland Seals, depending on what day it was. Uh, in order to, to in order to ensure that Montreal who had they had traded the pick for um they traded Ralph Backstrom, the, who just passed away a couple of months ago. They traded Ralph Backstrom to Los Angeles to ensure that the Kings would play well enough to win and not be <laughs> the number one pick. And Oakland, California got the pick, and obviously that pick became Guy Lafleur. Yeah, oh, no, no. They've they've done many things over the years. Uh, and, and the advantage prior to, you know, the mid-'70s, the advantage prior to the mid-'70s, before the draft really became into 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 uh, uh, a situation, um, Montreal was allowed to protect the first two Quebec-born players uh, from junior hockey. And uh, that put them in very good stead for many, many years. Well, and John, that's, I mean, Jean Beliveau was arguably the best player. I mean, I know Gordy Howe was a great player. Jean Beliveau was a great player. And yeah. for, I would argue from about 65 to 75, Quebec might have been produced. Like right now, the GTHLs protect, in my opinion, they are, uh, you know, the, the best players in the world are coming out of there because the most competitive kids at the youngest age are going head to head against one another. But yeah. as you know, I mean, Quebec was producing unreal, uh, skilled players throughout the late 60s and in the early 70s. And I thought it maybe partially because kids grew, like Gila Fleur grew up wanting to be Jean Belleville. Yeah. Well, and let's face it, uh, Beliveau is a fascinating story into himself. They actually l literally bought a league. Montreal Canadiens, uh, with the great Frank Selke Sr., uh, bought a league in order to own um, Beliveau's rights in 1952. That's how powerful they were. That's, that's what they would do. And it really began, uh, it's funny how, how things, uh, there was a time when, the the elite team in 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 Canada was the Toronto Maple Leafs. Period. End of story. In the 30s, in the 40s, once Maple Leaf Gardens was built, um, and and uh, Colonel Smythe, Con Smythe, ran the team uh, like his own fiefdom. His assistant was Frank Selke Sr. And when Smythe came back from the war, uh, he didn't want Selke around anymore. And the Montreal Canadiens were on the verge of bankruptcy. Montreal was in big trouble. 
So they sent Selkie to Montreal to fix it. And what Selkie did was he implored some of the certain aspects that they had done in Toronto uh, in order to try to create that level of prestige of the Montreal Canadiens. And it was Frank Selke Sr. who then trained Sam Pollock uh, it was, and, the, and the Molson family themselves, Hartland Molson. They created this aura of what the Montreal Canadiens were truly all about. There was a time that the Montreal Canadiens weren't on Hockey Night in Canada, uh, particularly on radio. And what happened was that Selke demanded that they be on radio across the country and then on television across the country on alternate nights. And in order to appease everybody, that's exactly what happened in the 50s. And that's why, and, and then the Canadians also did these barnstorming tours of Western Canada, which is yeah. why you see so many great fans of the Canadians for years in Manitoba and Saskatchewan and Alberta. Yeah, absolutely. We're joined by Sorry, John. Sh- that's a long story, and it's no, really no. windy about old stuff that was long before I was born. So. Uh, I got news for you, John. You'd be stunned by the response right now on this stuff. Uh, this text comes in on our Ashley Fine Floors text line. Danny Galliman was incredible. There is no comparable for the time. He wasn't a hype man, but he got you excited about yep. the game. Yep. Uh, and we've got we're, we're literally getting dozens of texts at, at on the uh, on on the Hellraisers. Well, let, me, let me tell you what, let, Bob. Let me tell you one story. So. Uh, the, the parent company of Hockey Night in Canada was a company called Canadian Sports Network. Um, it, it was a predecessor to Molestar. That was the name. And um, we got hired as a group to produce Washington Capitals hockey. We were going to do a 50-game package of Washington Capitals hockey. And we thought it would be a brilliant idea. And God, so this has got to be 1984-85. Uh, we thought it would be a brilliant idea. Uh, to put Danny Gallivan in as the play-by-play guy in Washington. Disaster. An utter disaster. Because they didn't understand it. They didn't understand the flowery vocabulary. They didn't understand his his tendency to dominate the play. Um, it, it backfired in a year. And we only did Danny there for one year. It was a, a fascinating study of what we were used to in Canada and what they were trying to trying to educate a, a market like in, in Washington in the mid-1980s. Randy in Brooks, Alberta, says, Bob, I was cultivated as a Canadians fan in the early 1970s, watched Hockey Night in Canada on Saturday nights with my mother. Only the startup of the Oilers from the early 80s could pry the CH jersey off my chest. I got news for you, Randy. I had a somewhat similar experience. I can remember, the for me, it was when Dave Hunter hit Gila Fleur, and then Gila Point went after Dave Hunter, and Dave Hunter won the fight, and Gila Point tried bashing him over the head with his helmet at the end of the fight. It was that series in 1981 that kind of... You know, you, I mean, you, you know what I'm talking about, John. Sure. Sure. That, listen, that to me was, uh, everybody talks about uh, the following year and the miracle on Manchester. Uh, but the coming out party for me was, was the 81 series uh, against Montreal, the three-game sweep. Uh, Andy Mogan goal. And he had, I think, had played seven regular season games that year. Um, you know, Wayne... Wayne was really taking over the league. Mark Messier had finally um, proved Glenn's patience so uh, so profitable. I mean, it was a it was an amazing time, and these and and they were all just kids. The Oilers were all just kids, and here was Montreal that had just finished winning four in a row. Were on the and, and now didn't know how, didn't know what to do because they had you know Scotty had left, a lot of their veteran players were getting too old, 
it, it was uh, it was a difficult time in Montreal for those those few years in eighty eighty one, but in the end, it was a, a great time to be around both hockey clubs, and I was fortunate to be around both of them. John Shannon, our NHL insider, joining us. All right, John, let's do some quick hitters here. Uh, NHL trade deadline is roughly three weeks away. Canadian quarantine situation at the border restriction has not changed. How much do you think that is going to play into factor for uh, Canadian organizations in the North Division? I, I think it's going to. I think it's going to play some, but you know, there's what what might just happen is if you can get a if you can get a player. Uh, not a rental, but if you can get a player uh, for the remainder of this year and a couple of more years, uh, perhaps it's worth it. Because uh, if you're if you're going to make the trade, you think you're going to make the playoffs, and then really you're 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 building towards the playoffs anyway. So if you can get a guy before April the 12th, uh, have him serve the the 14 day quarantine, and then probably five or six days more of of, of skating to get back into into shape. And then have them for the last three or four games of the season. I, I think it's feasible, um, but you have to know that you're going to have more than just a rental. So that's that's the one thing I would look at. The other thing is is you got to look at uh, by the 12th. I think we'll have a really good idea of what Canadian teams aren't going to make it, and who's going to be prepared to to sell something. You know darn well Ottawa is going to be prepared to sell something if they can get another draft pick. And is there somebody uh, on the uh, is there somebody on the Senators roster, a veteran player, even a rental, that can help your team um, uh, for depth purposes or, or on the blue line uh, through a playoff run? And I think that's possible. And then by then, will we know whether it's is Vancouver out of the picture, is Calgary out of the picture, is Montreal out of the picture? Because I think those three teams are going to vie for fourth, as the other three teams, Edmonton, Winnipeg, and Toronto, jockey for one, two, three. So, are we seeing a different order? I mean, Edmonton, John, they're seventeen and eight, or sorry, they're eighteen and seven. Eighteen and seven in the last twenty-five goals for three point six goals against two point six. So they're outscoring their opposition by a goal per game over the last twenty-five games. The power play is actually, you know, it's at twenty-six point seven, not quite as good as last year. Penalty penalty kill could still improve in this twenty-five game run. Still only seventy. 8.1%. Save percentage, John, the Oilers are at 9.16 in the 25-game run. They've moved up to 11th in the league overall in save percentage, up to 9.08. We know how much of an issue that was to start the year. Um, you know, is I mean, has Edmonton, in your opinion, you're, you're, you're observing watching this team, have they matured? Have they shown you something different here over the course of the last two months? They've taken so much pressure off McDavid and Dreisaitl by having the bottom six forwards contribute. And you, you compound that with the fact that Jesse Pugliarvi's better every day. All of a sudden, this isn't a two-man band. You don't hear any of these accusations around the NHL anymore. Oh, the Oilers are a two-man band. You don't hear it anymore, Bob. Because uh, in the coming out party, in many ways, in addition to Pugliarvi, was Jujar Kara. Uh, the last time this team was in the East with the Ottawa games and the Montreal games, it was Kara that made, changed the whole perspective in those two games in Ottawa. You know, and that Archibald Ennis line all of a sudden matured and, and, and became a factor. Um, and so it's, it's really the, it's the depth of this team, and it's going to be the depth of the team that, that, that plays, makes a difference in the playoffs too, but it's the depth of this team that has changed the whole perspective of, of what they can and can't do. Uh, and that's why we're talking about a team now that is vying for first as opposed to vying for a playoff spot. 
John, great stuff. Uh, thanks for taking us a trip down memory lane. You'd be stunned by the responses. Well, I tell you what, I, I made a mistake. If any conversation like this, you have to just say two words, too. Bob Cole. There you go. I said it, Bob Cole. Certainly for uh, a reason, I mean, the last 30 years, right? Yeah. Like, well, and Bob, Bob learned everything from Danny. He learned everything from Danny and Foster, So, and he'll tell I, you that. Can I tell my story about Bob Cole doing stats for him? <laughs> No, don't, no, 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 it's funny, it's funny. Yeah, I know. What, are you going to talk about, his belt? No, his belt? no, okay. I'm not talking about his belt. Okay. So I'm, I'm filling in for David Moyer, who the listeners should probably know is like the best stats guy around forever. And uh, David's off doing TSN football, uh, and I'm filling in down in Calgary, and Bob Cole's uh, calling the game, and he goes, um, here's a Gidla down the right side, and he goes, how old is he? He takes his headset off, and, he, I, and I'm like, he's 24. He's 24, like he didn't even, like, and, he, he, and the pause, the pregnant pause on it was perfect. You know what I mean? And, I, oh, and, yeah. then, and, then, and then we go to break, and he goes, you better be right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, listen, if, if Bob trusted you, if Bob yeah, trusted you, that oh, was yeah. the ultimate compliment. Yeah, no, he was that. He was good, man. There is no question about it. Top flight in the last uh, several years. Great stuff, John. Appreciate your time. I'll hook, hook up on Wednesday, okay? Yes, sir. That is John Shannon, our NHL insider for Legacy Heating and Cooling. We will tell you that guests and owners now receive guest certificates to Roos Chris Steakhouse. Whether you're celebrating a special moment or simply savoring a night on the town, every meal is an occasion at Roos Chris Steakhouse. Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the icon of vacations. Icon of the seas. Arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry Bahamas. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. It is 12.54. When we come back, we'll get to the Oilers Now injury report. You're listening to Oilers Now. Hi, this is Zach Cassian from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer on 630 Chet. 1257 in Edmonton. I'm going to bang off three quick texts. Here we go on the Ashley Five Floors text line. Bob, I grew up in a phone where my or grew up in a home where my dad was from Ontario. Cheer for anybody but the Leafs, and you were sent to bed. Gradually, I got him to admit that Gordy Howe was great. So too was Bobby Hull and Bobby Orr. When he finally admitted that John Belleville was a classy player, things were finally as they should be. Again, you can text us at any time at seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three. Ashley Five Floors text line. Brew Crew says Bob Mark Messi willing to take on Larry Robinson at center ice. That moment changed me forever to an Oiler. Uh, like you, I did like the Canadians, but once the Oilers asserted themselves, nothing uh, has matched that since. Like Speck noted once on your show, enjoy being a fan now for the Oilers. They're fun to watch. That one comes to us from Brewer Crew. Messier wanted to get Robinson along the boards because Larry out in open ice, as good a fighter as Mark was, Larry had the reach, and Larry filled some guys in 
big time, including Dave Schultz, including Chris Jericho's father, Ted Irvin. Uh, of the New York Rangers as well. All right, as we go off to the Oilers Now Injury Report, brought to you daily by James H. Brown Injury Lawyers. For every goal at the Edmonton Oilers score this season, James H. Brown will donate $100 to 630 Chad Santa's Anonymous. When accidents happen, go to jameshbrown.com. Brendan Escott's got your injury update. Yeah, Kyler Yamamoto still day-to-day dealing with an upper body injury. Uh, Kyle Turris uh, doesn't sound like he's going to dress tonight. So can we just clarify, Bob, he's, no, he's not on the COVID list, but he's, he's He's also not in the injured list. So where does it's, that place him? The non-roster injured list? Yeah, he's on non-roster, and so is uh, Staylock. Okay, that makes sense. And, of course, Clefbaum and Cuckoo done for the year. For Montreal, uh, Tyler Toffoli missing all three games of this series against Edmonton. He's got a lower body problem. We know Ben Chirot out another several weeks with a hand injury. And in the Toronto camp, goaltender Frederick Anderson not practicing this morning. Consider him day-to-day with a lower body injury. We will head off to a global news weather traffic update with Eileen Bell. And when we come back, our Oilers now headliner today, a blast from the 2006 past Brad Winchester. You're listening to Oilers Now. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad.